This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome back to another episode of Breaking Pod. We are back and ready to commence our journey through the final season of Breaking Bad. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Josh Goldman. Josh, how are you today? It's the final season. <laughs> We're ready. I'm We're ready. So ready. Season five. It's a supersized season. I guess when it aired originally, it was done in two parts. So eight episodes and eight episodes because there's a uh, cliffhanger at the end of episode eight, which we won't talk about now in case you're just watching it for the first time. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about the season. Lots of good stuff happens. But Zach, I wanted to place this episode recording in this moment in time. It's October 2020. I know this is not a sports podcast, but I have to ask you briefly, how do you feel about sports without fans? Because we just had the conclusion of the NBA. You know, we were in the midst of the NFL season, Major League Baseball is in the playoff season. I have my thoughts, but I was just thinking about, you know, other, you know, other even entertainment things, you know, like you can't think about theater without an audience. It just wouldn't make any sense. Or like a but concert sports, without an audience. Or a concert. Yeah, it's just silly. So what what is your thoughts having watched? I don't know if you're following anything closely, but. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I mean, I'm following the Eagles pretty closely right now. Uh, I don't I don't even like watching their games as much, though. Like, you know, all the crowd noise is fake and pumped in, et cetera. Uh, baseball, I was just totally out on this year. Uh, I think they just did so like, weird. They did a really good job messing up everything they possibly could <laughs> at the beginning of the season. Um, and I, I just lost interest and I was like, yeah, I mean, short seasons can be fun and good, but I'm, I'm out for this one. So I'm out on that. And then basketball, I mean, I just have zero interest in the whole, the whole bubble thing too. Also made it lame. So I'm in general, very, very out on sports without fans. How about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I will say, though, I'm not really an NBA fan. I did watch the NBA playoffs, and I think that they've done the they did the best job of making it feel like a regular environment. And, and partly that's due to the fact that they play inside. So yeah. they're able to sort of cordon off the seats. And what they did in, in Disney World in this bubble is basically put a wrap around the seats. So you, you couldn't really tell. And I thought they did a they did a pretty good job. I think it's super evident and weird in baseball stadiums, football stadiums, baseball maybe especially because you have the most view of the stands yes, totally. of any sports. It's so weird. And I, you know, I'm sort of ambivalent about the cardboard cutouts, but at least it looks like something's <laughs> there. I don't know. It's just the whole thing is weird to me. Of course, you know, being uninterested in the baseball season has nothing to do with the fact that neither of our teams made the playoffs this year. Exactly. I'm sure. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm with you. I'm sort of out on it. And I was reading an article by Jeff Paston um, of ESPN and about how, you know, there was a really exciting game. And he said, you know, baseball's back. And I thought, not really. Yeah, it's no, not, it's not just, real baseball. No, not it does. You know, when you hit a home run into empty seats in the middle of a, a crazy playoff game, there's just something missing there. Yeah, completely agree. There are some fans at the playoff games, but it's I, I don't know what's worse, having like a totally empty stadium or having a stadium at like one tenth capacity. <laughs> Yeah, because it's just like it's like every game is a every game is a Blue Jays game at that point or Marlins or Marlins game. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, I should also, you know, flag this moment in time, because since our last recording, the the mop on my head is gone. It is. That's true. It is. It's been sheared off by my wife. She did a very nice job uh, cutting the hair. It, It just got to the point where it kept falling in my face every day. I'd gotten headbands that were just not staying on my head. I went out to cut the grass one day and, you know, it was 
pretty warm and the hair was just falling in my face. And I even had a hat, but it kept <laughs> flopping around the hat. And I thought, you know what? <laughs> who, who am I doing this for at this point? So I said, it's time. You know, it took a little bit longer, but it's one of the best haircuts I've gotten. So it's she just did a really good haircut. job. Yeah. She, yeah. she missed her calling as a cosmetologist or a barber. Yeah, exactly. And it only took, it took about an hour, but you know, which is about 40 minutes longer than you would get in a haircutter or something like that. But she only used scissors and it looks, I was really happy with it. So I think I won't be wasting $20 on a haircut anymore. There's that's, just no point. That's fair. I mean, I think, you know, I stopped paying for haircuts as well when I learned Absolutely. how to cut my own hair, but it's at the point where like, I think I'll need to go and like biannually once every sure. t- or twice every year to like get it kind of cleaned up and like evened out <laughs> yeah. again, because there are definitely, yeah. <laughs> definitely gaps in my abilities and they just yeah. become more evident over time. Exactly. Exactly. Well, all right. So that's enough on on other things. We should jump right into this episode. I know we've got an exciting one to talk about. Let's do it. Yeah. Season five, episode one. Uh, we'll just start off with a two minute summary here. And it's actually appropriate because we were just talking about you being ragged before your haircut. And this two minute summary starts out saying in a flash forward, a ragged bearded Walt. So there you go. In a flash forward, a ragged bearded Walt living under a different identity has breakfast at a Denny's restaurant in Albuquerque on his 52nd birthday a little over a year into the future. He pays for and receives a key from a patron, which he uses to open a car trunk containing an M60 machine gun. In the present, news of the three deaths at the senior center Casa Tranquilla spreads as Walt heads over to see his family. Walt uses a giant magnet to destroy evidence of his and Jesse's activities stored on Gus Fring's laptop in the police evidence lockup. Mike acts as third man with location information. Fine, what do you think? Is that an is that an accurate bad. summary? No, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad. I would say I would say D. And I think the biggest reason for that is that, you, you know, the first maybe two sentences, three sentences are pretty decent summary of the beginning of the episode. But the majority of the episode is just uh, shoved into these last two sentences. I don't really understand. Maybe they got tired of writing this. <laughs> They're like, oh, man, I'm being too detailed. I better better speed it along here. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, Walt uses a giant magnet. I mean, if you've not seen the episode, you would have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. Like the magnet you think of mostly is like a fridge magnet. Right. No, this is maybe just a big fridge magnet. Did Walt go into the evidence lockup and say, (laughs) oh, I forgot. I needed to drop this magnet off. I'm in a disguise. Like those plastic magnet wands we had as kids. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, this is is a a jury rigged electro magnet uh, housed in the back of a truck. Yeah. pretty impressive also i will say in defense of the author of this i definitely messed up the reading of it when i when i when i paused after i said casa tranquilla because i was like news of the three deaths at the senior center casa tranquilla spreads as walt heads <laughs> over to see it so i didn't really do it justice when i was reading it so apologies to the original author here but i agree with you this is not good we spend way too much time dwelling over the unimportant things i mean like if i was writing this i would not spend literally half of the word count on the flash forward at the very beginning, I might just say the episode opens with a flash forward to Walt buying an M60 machine gun for unknown reasons and then go into the actual episode because that's what we care about. And most of it is this whole plot about the magnet. And even more than that, I would say it's really about um, Mike acting as a third man here mm-hmm. because we see Mike getting wrapped into this stuff um, of, of Walt and Jesse all over again and there's another part not mentioned in this in this synopsis in which Walt is uh, he's like feeding the chickens down in Mexico as he's recovering. Right. And then he finds out about Gus's death 
and races up to the border and then basically holds Walt at gunpoint in the desert, threatening to kill him because he says, like, do you have any idea what you've done? Do you have any idea what you've done? Um, and then Walt somehow, you know, gets Mike to work with him. And I think that's kind of the real the real uh, key of the story here. Um, and maybe it's related to the title as well. Obviously, the title is, re- is a reference to New Hampshire. Uh, Live for your die is the motto of New Hampshire, also called the Granite State, which is the name of episode 15 in the season. Um, but it makes me wonder, Josh, if Mike is really kind of the central character here because it's Mike who can live free or die, right? Like Mike's former employer, Gus Fring, has now passed on, but Mike ends up getting wrapped up back into this nonsense all over again. And as a viewer, you're watching him get pulled in. And you're like, no, no, don't do it, Mike. Just take, you know, cut while you uh, stop while you're ahead and run. Um, but he doesn't actually do that. So, you know, Mike has this choice, perhaps live free or die. Uh, he does not live free because he ends up getting wrapped up in with Walt. And we'll see what kind of consequences that that has for Mike down the road. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. Although what I will say about Mike is that and we'll learn more about this in the next episode, but his hands are very much still tied That's amongst true. everything. So I'm not sure. Yes, he could probably disappear. You know, he probably has the same access to the uh, vacuum man. Have we learned about him yet in this in this show? I think. we. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, because Walt had gotten the name of him. We the haven't di- seen the him disappearer, yet. Right. Yes. The disappear. Yeah. And, and we see him again in uh, in the Breaking Bad movie. Yes. But, you know, I, I think he could do something like that. But I, I also think that you know, he's still very much wrapped up in all of this. And and there's a lot of loose ends from Gus Fring's empire that we're going to discuss in the first couple of episodes of this, of this season. And so, yes, I think maybe he has a little bit of a choice, but he, he is very, very much in the game still. Yeah. All good points. I think that's absolutely valid. Uh, before we jump into our, our further digest, actually, we didn't give a letter grade to the summary, so let's do that. Yeah, and D. then I've got some, uh, D. D. Okay. Yeah, I would go yeah. D as well. All right. So we're united on the uh, terrible grade for the summary. The only other things I'll mention, a couple fun things. As you said, this was originally two parts the whole season, season five, one eight-part first part, and then a second eight-part second part. Um, uh, but th- that before the Gilligan and his team made this season, as we mentioned last time, they thought it might be the end at season four. They weren't sure if they were going to get renewed. And so they made this the end of season four, uh, set up as if it could stand alone at the end. That's when, you know, Walt says basically, I won. That's what happened. It's over. And um, AMC, for whatever reason, reasons unknown, offered to renew this for a fifth season that was only going to be six to eight episodes. And the producers, Gilligan among them, said no. So they're the reason that we have this much longer kind of in-depth fifth season, which I think is is interesting. And the other thing that's kind of fun here, in that flash forward when... Walt makes the 52 with the bacon on his plate with real bacon. That is a, um, that harkens back to what we discussed and mocked in the first, the very first episode, the pilot in which Skyler makes the 50 with veggie bacon on Walt's plate for his 50th birthday. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. And I love that too, because I don't think we're going to talk much about the flash forward in, in our sort of deeper analysis of this episode, but so I'll just briefly mention it here. I think the flash forward is a really good job because it firmly places the viewer in a specific time. You know, very clearly that it's been two years since the pilot episode and they do it in a way that is not a, you know, it's, it's not 
just a random thing. It is a very nice callback to something we saw in the in the pilot episode. So, you know, it gives you enough information to be interested in when are we going to see more about this? Like, what's going on? Why does Walt look so much better with a beard than with a goatee? Maybe you should have done that all along. He looks great with hair. Why don't we grow the hair back, Walt? You know, and but we don't know. We don't know when we're going to get it. And I think this is the most effective flash forward, in my opinion, that the show's done to this point, maybe with the exception of the pilot episode, which is a great opening to the whole thing. But otherwise, you know, I I was sort of uh, sort of eh on the the black and white pink teddy bear that we saw in season yeah, two. Yeah, Marie didn't like the pink teddy bear. But I like this, and I think that it's it's really interesting. You're wondering what is what is Walt done to get to this point, and when are we going to see that? And it will pay dividends once we get farther into the season. But for now, I think it's a good tease. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, let's go on to our best scenes, Josh, and you and I happen to choose the same one here. So what is your and my best scene? Well, my best scene and your best scene is the the crux of the entire episode, and it's this destruction of the evidence because they realize that Gus had cameras and recorded everything in the super lab and they have to destroy it. And so this is a really long scene. And so we won't play any audio from this. And it is mostly nonverbal anyway. Yeah. But basically it's there. I like it because it's like a heist scene. They they go to this police lockup and it's a heist scene without taking anything, which I think is a really interesting twist on the whole sort of genre. They go in this giant truck and they use the giant magnet to pull all the evidence, slam it against the wall and the evidence lockup. And then, you know, Walt gets, gets a little excited and turns it on super big and the truck tips over and they manage to escape. And the reason that I picked this is, is likely more for the scene that happens after, but I sort of couple them together and they're in the getaway car. And I know that this was something that interested you too, Zach, uh, based on your notes from the, from the doc that we're, we're using here, but it's sort of like, and this is even a term that Walt will use in a couple episodes, but it's almost like they're flying a little too close to the sun. And I just find it really interesting, the dialogue that happens between Mike and Walt when they're in their getaway car, which is Mike says, why are you celebrating? You left the truck there and there could be evidence that draw, you know, that brings it back to the junkyard where we got the truck and the magnets and then back to us. And, you know, are you really that dumb? And Walt says, I've checked everything. And then Mike's like, Walter. And it's like, you know, it's like that, that back and forth. But but Walt is so overconfident here. And, you it, you know, it turns out that they don't discover anything about the truck. But you wonder, is he being overconfident here? What's going on in his head? You know, they they just escaped near death with Gus. And now he's immediately back into it with this overinflated ego. I'm not really sure why he feels that way, but he certainly feels a sense of power. Yeah, he totally does. And that comes through very strongly in that car scene that you just mentioned. But it's interesting that even though Walt is like so confident that he pulled off the magnet operation effectively, and from our vantage point, based on what we know now, he really did. What he doesn't know is that his very action allowed the police to uncover another clue in the evidence locker itself when that picture frame broke. And that leads them to find Gus's stash of money uh, in an offshore bank account, which then leads them to find the money that Mike had tucked away for his, his um, granddaughter, et cetera, et cetera. So there are actually problems that Walt has created through this very audacious plan. And I think that is kind of the big takeaway, but I liked your point about it being a high scene. I like that as well. 
I like a few of the sort of um, the few, a few things with a sort of staging or special effects. One, the magnet is fun. The fact that they, you know, they have like paper clips slide across the desk and they have things in the evidence room, you know, seemingly swivel out of nowhere off the wall and, toward, you know, hang on to the wall held by, held up by nothing. And it's not like incredible special effects or particularly difficult to do, but it's just a fun thing. I think that adds to that scene, adds to the sort of the, the fun heist um, component of that scene. Or the fact that, you know, the the truck then uh, when Walt dials it up all the way, the truck comes off of its, its you know, two of, it, two of its wheels and is stuck up on its side. And we, as the audience, are thinking, oh, Walt and Jesse don't have enough time to get away. And so there's like a little bit of suspense there. And then just like in a heist movie, the police go out there and they're nowhere to be seen. Like they did get away. So that, that was just kind of fun. And I mean, this scene is also, in addition to just being the central um, central point of the episode thematically it also i think takes up the most time and all the building up to this and planning for it so this is just uh for all those reasons my nomination for best scene yeah and i think that those little things like the paperclip moving along the table and those little special effects things sometimes the simplest effects are the most impactful because it happens slowly it's not all of a sudden things fly against the wall you see that it's like in that scene in jurassic park when the water starts to ripple in the cup, when they're, you know, when the T-Rex yes, is coming, yes. which was actually a very, I, I, I watched a behind the scenes thing, very difficult thing for them to pull off. They ended up putting a guitar string underneath that cup because they couldn't get it to ripple in the right way. So there was literally someone under the car or under that set piece string it like uh, thumping the wow, guitar string to make that cool. ripple. So you think about that type of thing when you see a scene like the, the little paperclip moving, what did they have to do to make that simple but effective and not overly done and it could have been something where they had a, a bigger magnet underneath the table with someone bringing it across or you know something like that so yeah, for sure i love those little things and i love those little touches in scenes like this because it just helps you be a part of the you know the entire sense of place yeah it totally makes sense and speaking of magnets let's stay on this theme and let's talk about your best moment and i'll just i'll just play it right here and then we'll talk about it yeah yeah, bitch! Magnets! Oh! Yeah, I mean, this is just, this is right after they're doing their test in the junkyard and the magnet works and the laptop that Jesse's holding slams against the truck and explodes. And it's just, it's just such a perfect Jesse moment. You know, like, you can't help but laugh. He's just so excited about the simplest little scientific thing that a magnet will, you know, wipe a hard drive and pull a piece of metal towards it. It's just great. It's just a perfect little Jesse moment. That's why I love it. I just, my best I just love the grandiosity of his fist pump in the air. He's just, he's so excited about this. And then he like hops, hops away as he goes like, Oh, so <laughs> has funny. anybody been ex as excited about magnets as Jesse Pinkman? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Magnets. <laughs> Uh, that, that was a great moment. I loved it. Mine was certainly less humorous. This is um, along the lines, actually, of Walt fall, uh, flying too close to the sun, of him talking to Mike in that car scene. This is when Walt is talking with Saul, and and Saul is being his normal sort of like downplay everything, dismissive, casual self, and Walt is not having it. What are you... Come on. Hey. Hey. done when i say we're done pretty scary moment so saul had basically said we're done here and then you get that and that noise of course is the chair rolling away because walt gets up and, and almost accosts saul from uh where he was sitting 
it's a it's a pretty intense scene. And you're like, okay, this uh, this wall guy is really getting serious. He is perhaps flying too close to the sun. And I like this moment in this episode because it is indicative of this broader transformation that we're seeing going on in Walt. Uh, he is now the kingpin because Gus is dead. And he now has the confidence, the cockiness, the self-assuredness to think that he can literally walk into a, into, or drive, I guess, literally drive into an impound yard and drive right up to the wall, external wall of the evidence locker and fry everything with, everything with magnets. So, I mean, um, I like how confident he's becoming. I think it adds a big dimension to the show, but this is a remarkable transformation from, from mild-mannered uh, Walter White in the first season. Yeah, I, I like this scene too. I do wonder though, it's not necessarily a nit to pick, but is Saul really physically scared of Walt? I mean, they're about the same size. You know, neither of them seem like they're they're gym rats. So I'm not really sure. I mean, maybe it's just the maybe it is just the confidence of Walt as a person versus Saul, who's always sort of lurking in the shadows when it comes to the work that he does and sort of dealing with with the nefarious characters in that sense. Maybe that's really more of what it is. It's sort of the outward confidence of, you know, as, as opposed to necessarily the physical, you know, ness of it all. But, you know, I, I, I kind of wondered, is Saul really scared of physically of Walt or maybe he thinks he has a gun or a knife or something? I don't really know. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's right though. I mean, like there's there's a huge difference between these characters and Saul is someone who always talks his way out of a jam rather than fights his way out of the jam. Um, and I think he, he I mean, I guess Walt is much the same in that regard, but I don't know if Saul sees Walt the same way. Yeah. All right, let's go on to best writing. Um, I'll just I'll start with actually no, I'll save mine for a second because it, it'll segue into some nits to pick, um, despite it being best writing. So, um, Josh, I will play your best writing moment and then we can talk about it. I heard what happened to Ted. He's not going to talk. So that long silence you hear. It's so I think long. It's, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you kept it in, though, because that's part of what I, I like about this. As a, it's a very short scene, but basically Walt comes home and Skylar is there and she, you know, she isn't really sure how to react around around Walt. I mean, at the beginning of this episode, after our flash forward, we get this other scene between Skylar and Walt where he says, what are you scared of? And she says, I'm scared of you. And in the scene between, I'm glad we're doing this right after we talked about your best moment scene between Saul and, and Walt, because this is another one where Walt is sort of asserting his dominance. And he sort of, that silence that we heard is him approaching her and basically pulling her into this hug that she clearly doesn't want based on the, the look on her face. And it's just one of those things where in the scene between Walt and Saul, you know, you're, you're sort of into it a little bit. You're thinking, oh, they're going mano a mano. You're not really sure what's going to happen. But between Skylar and Walt, it's almost a little bit scary. And, you know, you're not exactly sure what is he going to do something to her? Like he he has this like huge confidence, you know, that is not that's not displaying well or properly. And you're not really sure. It's it's like that unwanted attention that Skylar's getting here. And 
you can see why she's frightened of him. And so I like this because it's a very small scene that doesn't involve a lot of dialogue, but there's a lot of stuff to unpack in that little moment. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I have to say that when I was watching it, I didn't see it having the same sort of ambiguity, that silence. It just seemed like he was doing one of his long drawn out things before he says something that he thinks is going to curry favor, et cetera. But thinking about it, as you explained it, I think you're absolutely right. You can read it both ways and you're waiting and thinking like, is he going to, is he going to strike her? Is he going to, um, you know, hurt her in some way? And and you're really not sure. And then he ends up saying, I forgive you. And then you're almost like, what, what do I, you know, what do I think of that? More importantly, perhaps what does Skylar think of that as he's saying this to her? This is a very sort of emotionally manipulative thing. And I, I certainly, if I've learned one thing about Walter White, it's to not take his words at face value. Yeah. And I, I also like the, you're sort of taken aback by the, I forgive you, like as if Skylar has done something wrong, really her giving Ted the money was to save the whole family. Like yep. it was a big problem that was going to come back to them. And he says he forgives her as if she's the one who's done immense wrong here when really he is unable to see that he has done the most wrong. Yeah, I think that's that's um, certainly a potential plausible reading. I'm not convinced, though, that it's because he's not able to see that he's done the most wrong. But I wonder if there's something deeper psychological going on here, you know, almost like the um, the battered spouse syndrome, right, where like the battered spouse often thinks that they are somehow to blame for the acting out of their spouse. And so when he says, I forgive you and jumps ahead to that, he's he's basically saying like, although I forgive you for it, I also see it as your responsibility, the fact that Ted even got hurt in the first place. And that has to be so psychologically difficult for someone like Skylar to deal with. She, You already know she's wrestling with guilt over the whole thing. Um, and then Walt comes in and basically says like, I forgive you. So it is your fault, but, but don't feel guilty because I forgive you, but, but it is your fault, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's really slimy. Like the whole scene is just the way he, the way he interacts with Skylar in this episode. And then, you know, the next episode as well, it's just, it's kind of like off-putting. Yeah, completely agree. Well, my best writing is a short moment between Skylar and our favorite character, Josh. I. Never breathe one word of this. Good. So that was, of course, Ted Beneke talking to Skyler as he's laying in the laying in the hospital there, saying he's never going to say anything. And her response is good, which um, is really interesting and remarkable. Uh, but before I talk about why, Josh, uh, what do you think of Ted Beneke's performance here? I know you're a huge Ted Beneke fan. You just love huge, what he, huge, love what he adds Ted to Beneke the show. Ted Beneke Stan. He's my favorite. In my Twitter bio, I'm going to change it to Ted Beneke, Ted Beneke stan. Super Stan. Yeah, I, I, I don't like I don't like him in the show. I, I, I find his character uh, really. I, it's just sort of like unnecessary i mean I, I know why they put him in ultimately but i don't care for it and i don't care for the acting of the actor as well this is fine i'm you know it's like i'm glad ted has gotten some comeuppance for his like poor business schemes although it's like i can't remember if he comes back i'm gonna look this up while while you sort of talk about it but if this is his last scene that's kind of shows you what the the people who wrote the show think about him as a character 
Yeah, it's so true. And I am curious as well. I think it's last scene, but um, you have to let me know if I am wrong on that. Um, yeah, so I like this because Skyler walks in and looks very emotional right off the bat. She clearly feels bad about this. She blames herself. That was evident from when Saul told her about this accident that Ted had, et cetera, which also happened earlier in this episode. And so she, she comes in looking really torn up. And then the more he talks, Ted, he being Ted Beneke, the more he talks and says like, I won't say anything, yada, yada, yada. We're seeing glimpses of Skylar's face and her, and Anna Gunn does a great job acting this because her, her face is sort of progressively hardening as Ted is talking. And so when she walks in, you think she's going to say like, oh, Ted, I'm so sorry. But she actually just basically says, I think, oh, Ted. And then Ted basically just says, I will never breathe the word, blah, 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 blah. And instead of saying, I'm so sorry, Ted, Skylar says, good, which is so unexpected. And you're just like, oh, wow. So Skylar is even doubling down on what she's done. So we've already seen Walt double down and triple down on all his things. Skylar is laundering all of Walt's money through the car wash um, and, you know, sent, uh, sent Saul's guys to make sure that Ted paid, uh, paid the IRS, et cetera. And she is also doubling down on that because Ted is injured, you know, maybe paralyzed, et cetera. We don't know what the situation is exactly, but broken vertebrae. And she says good when he said he's not going to tell. So I, I just found that to be a really remarkable scene and very well done. Now, you'll notice that I did not include it in my best scene. And that's because I have nit, nits to pick about the scene itself. So first of all, Ted Beneke, does he appear later, Josh? Were you able to confirm? He does not. This is his last episode, so we can have a pop, pop the champagne. Ted Beneke is gone <laughs> from Beneke our screen. Is done. Um, I will. I will say he is. He appeared in thirteen episodes of Breaking Bad, which is more that's a lot. than. Yeah, it's more than other fan favorite characters like Badger. Oh wow! And yeah. Jane. That's more. Wow. And Gail Bedecker. I mean, he he is like one of the he. You know, there are only eight or nine characters who appeared in more episodes than than Christopher Cousins playing Ted Beneke. Wow. Well, one of my nits to pick is could you not actually shave his head? Like this is not a major major actor. He could not sign off on just shaving his head to play this role more convincingly because he looks like an alien with a gigantic skull cap, you know? Um so that's I think they did I think they did him dirty, honestly. They were like, we don't like you and we're just <laughs> gonna we're not gonna spend much money on this makeup job. Seriously, we're just gonna put a skull cap on you and call it good. And then the second thing is, so he's got one of those braces that drills into your skull. But as you see him talking, his head is definitely moving separate <laughs> from the brace itself. So uh, yeah. very, very fake. So it could not be well, best seen. But those are my nits to pick for this uh, this episode. Do you have any nits, Josh? I do. But one thing I want to say about your your best writing before listening to it again, listening to that scene right after we heard the scene with with Walt and Skylar, she has an almost eerily similar pause between Ted sort of being clearly frightened yeah. and not sure what's going to happen to him and Skyler responding with an unexpected response. So I'm not sure what there is there, but you know, it's interesting to see characters in different situations. Clearly Skyler thinks that she is the alpha in that situation. And, and, and then with, when she's with Walt, Walt is clearly the alpha in that situation. So interesting little uh, uh, thing to point out there. If you were in business have, with Walt, who do you think would be the alpha in that relationship? Absolutely, Walt would be the alpha. I would, I'd be like, yes, sir, what can I do for you, sir? Uh, I don't know anything about chemistry, sir. Yeah, seriously, oh my goodness. He'd be yeah. a terrifying person to work for. Oh my gosh. Absolutely terrifying. I'd be like, be like uh, I'm going to put my two weeks in. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Said, we're done when I say we're, we're done. We're done when I say we're done. Yeah. 
I only have two nits to pick in this episode. And the first one is at the end of the episode, Walt approaches Skylar in the bedroom. She's changing baby Holly on the bed. Now, oh, at I this know where point, you're going with this. I thought the same yeah, thing. Baby Holly, probably five, six months old, definitely can roll definitely over. Definitely can roll. That's the most important thing. I don't know why thing. she would leave her unattended <laughs> yeah. on the bed. That baby is going to flop right off. Yep. And maybe that's Walt's plan all along. He doesn't want to deal with Holly either. But oh, my goodness. Man, that is that is dangerous territory. Any parent knows you keep that baby. You, you got to have one hand on yep. them at all times if you're yep. going to put them up anywhere or put them on the ground yep. or in a crib or something. Exactly. No, I thought the same exact thing when I saw her turn. I was like, what are you doing? You're clearly <laughs> OK. OK. Yeah. Yeah. My other nit to pick is not necessarily a nit to pick, but I do want to say that in the in the last episode of, of season four, I pointed out that Walt had called his neighbor to go over to check the oven to make sure that Gus's men weren't hanging out waiting for him. Right. And I had mentioned in our recap of that episode that didn't he leave all the bomb making materials yeah. out? And sure enough, we get a scene in this episode where he's cleaning up massive amounts of bomb making materials. So I'm not sure if his neighbor was uh, legally blind or yeah, or what. Well, she's but definitely she clearly elderly. did not. She probably yeah, probably not like tops on her list to figure out what all those, those kids are. and their science experiments. <laughs> Yeah, so that was exactly. my other, just sort of a pat on the back that I that I called that from no, that's the last good. episode. Good and then call. we got this the scene of Walt cleaning up at the beginning of this episode. Uh, great call. Um, all right, it's time for the MVP tally, Josh. So who is your MVP? And just as a reminder for our listeners, the MVP is the person who most drives the storyline or the plot or the thematic elements of the episode forward. Not necessarily the person with most screen time. So Josh, if you want to go with Ted Beneke, you know, please do. Uh, not necessarily, not necessarily the person with the, you know, the best lines, et cetera, but the person, uh, the person without which the thematic elements of the episode would be uh, not as prominent or not as successfully delivered. So with that, uh, kind of definition, who's your MVP for this episode, Josh? I have a feeling you, you re upped our definition because I think I know where you're going with this, but I'm going to go with Walt. I think that's probably the easiest answer because he is sort of the driving force behind a lot of the different parts of this episode. You know, obviously the magnet heist scene, you know, the whole uh, interaction with, with Mike, he's sort of driving that. And then his interactions with both Saul and his wife are going to have lasting implications there. So I'm going to give it to Walt, but I'm curious to see who you're going to give it to. Yeah, I suspect you know that you know where I'm at least leaning with this. Um, I think the only two options are Walt or Mike. I'm going to go with Mike uh, because I just think that Mike is sort of the one who who drives the central thread of the story together. He's the reason why they go after the evidence in the first place. We also see him just getting roped back in with Walt and Jesse, and that will become more important, I think, in the next episode when we learn learn how sort of that that continues on. Um, but I think Mike gets it for for that reason and for that reason. Uh, that reason alone but I think Walt's a great nod um, that actually by the way your vote for Walt Josh puts Walt in the lead over Jesse Walt 25 Jesse 24 so uh, yeah. perhaps the beginning of a big run I have a feeling Walt's going to get a few more of these votes in the final season here so yeah and I'm happy to report that you know as as of Ted Beneke's last episode The Fly has more MVP votes <laughs> than Ted Beneke <laughs> perfect all right, Josh, did we miss anything? I think that's all from this episode. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much to our listeners for listening to another episode of Breaking Pod. If we miss anything, let us know. BreakingPod at VernacularPodcast.com. We have just taken the the you know three or four week break uh, from our the final, final episode of season four, but now we're back 
we're going to be going through season five and recording all of these and getting all this wrapped up by the end of the calendar year. At least that's our plan as of now. So thanks so much for listening. Send us a note, breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. And until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Josh. Have a great week. <laughs>